Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for joining in this webinar. Uh, and thank you to Sheila and the um, team at Educate Plus for uh, making this possible and inviting us to speak on this topic. Um, it's my great pleasure to introduce uh, Vincent Ramos, um, who's joining us today. Um, Vincent has spent the last three years as the uh, Director of Advancement for the Homeschooling Foundation in Melbourne, um, creating a brand new engagement for the Homeschooling Institute. Uh, but way back at the start of his career, he, uh, he had a number of roles with Trinity College, um, including his, um, his ultimate role there as uh, Associate Director of Community Relations. Um, and during that time, he was the um, co-editor for the college's alumni magazine and also managed its social media. But he's also an alumnus of Trinity. So today he is going to speak to us with multiple hats um, as, the, as an alumnus, as the recipient of um, Residential College Communications and as someone who has worked in both a quite sophisticated uh, alumni and donor engagement program and also a startup engagement program. So thank you very much for joining us, Vincent. Um, a brief note on the format, what we're going to do um, in this presentation is uh, we've, we've received fantastic feedback from um, um, participants about what they wanted to hear. Uh, there's a lot that they've asked us to cover. Um, we're going to do our best to cover it all. Um, Vincent has said he's up for a part two if it comes to that. Um, so, but what we're going to do is go through all of the different topics that people ask to hear about. Um, and we're going to present slides uh, which give like a, a baseline or a fundamental best practice. Vincent's then going to share from his own experience of what has worked particularly well. Um, and then we're going to do like a, a fast um, top tips um, list of things that you can take away and apply immediately um, in your own programs. Um, so, and during the session, we're also gonna ask you to participate and, and provide your own um, feedback on what we're talking about. Um, so, without further ado, I will attempt to share my screen. Okay. Oops. Cool. Okay. So, communicating for impact. Um, why, why are we communicating? So at the very, right at the beginning, um, let's start with our objectives for why we can create a communication strategy. So your communication strategy is, is really critically important because it's the foundation uh, that underpins and drives all your other forms of engagement. So um, your communications is what's gonna drive your face-to-face -face engagement um, with your meetings, your um, event participation, uh, it's what's inspiring your um, alumni to become increasingly involved um, post um, college experience in terms of sharing their expertise and uh, knowledge, um, becoming volunteers, becoming advocates and ambassadors, and hopefully, ultimately, um, giving financially to your uh, institution. I really love this quote from George Bernard Shaw, the single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that has, take, it has taken place. And this is something that I find time and again um, that, I have, that has been part of my personal experience in uh, alumni operations that I've worked in and what I also see now working with clients is that we often assume far too much that, uh, that our alumni and our, our community, our stakeholders actually already know what it is that we want to say to them um, what the experience is at your institution right now uh, and we get very caught up in creating the activities but not necessarily communicating with them to the level that we should be we we may not communicate soon enough we may not communicate um, simply enough we may not you know send them enough communications about the action that we want them to take um, or we may be communicating with um, with the we might be missing people out of our stakeholder group. So not, not um, making sure that we're communicating with all the people that we want to be communicating with. 
Um, this is another really good quote. Communication to a relationship uh, is like oxygen to life. Without it, it dies. So your uh, alumni obviously have very warm feelings about your institution, um, but if you're not communicating regularly with them, that relationship is rooted very firmly in the past, uh, and we want to be communicating with them to keep that relationship alive and thriving in the current day so that it's uh, that there's continuity with their experience. Okay, so um, really the ultimate um, objective of what we want to achieve uh, to drive our advancement objectives is that we want them to make we want to make them feel special. Um, and this is um, this harks back to what Nick and Kate were speaking about uh, in the donor stewardship session. Um, this importance of making them feel special and making them feel known. That's what we're ultimately trying to achieve with our communications and with our ongoing engagement from that. We want to give them a really strong sense of family that they that they belong to our community. And this is regardless of whether we've met them or not, um, regardless of how long it is since they left the institution, we want them to continue to carry that sense of family with them and the belonging uh, to your community. Okay, um, residential colleges obviously have a natural edge um, in, in terms of this because probably out of all of the organizations that do any kind of fundraising, um, residential colleges have this amazing lived experience um, at, a, at a transitional period in um, young people's lives. It's a very important and very memorable time in people's lives um, and so it really stands out. Uh, and obviously it's a time when there's a lot of fun um, and celebration, there's a lot of connection, that's when people make lifelong friends. So I'm just going to throw to Vincent now and say and ask him a question about his own alumni experience. Um, it's now over 20 years um, since he began foundation studies at Trinity College. Uh, so Vincent, I'd like to ask you, what do you value most now in the current day about your relationship with Trinity uh, and what, what are your motivations for staying connected? Uh, thanks, Chanel, and hello, everyone. Um, well, um, it, it is 20 years, and it's um, it's frightening, really, that that time has passed. But um, it is a my relationship with Trinity has been um, ongoing, and it's been very long-standing. In that, I became a staff member um, afterwards, and and so the value of it for me is is multiple. It um, it marks the point at which I I grew up. Basically, I, I came to Melbourne and started at this place, and. Um, it gave me a sense of, um, of of feeling all grown up and ready for the world, and 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 it was safe. And so you know, so you could make your little mistakes within it, and and um, and then just go out to the world. Um, the thing about it that I value uh, from a professional sense, though, is I feel very lucky to have started my um, advancement career at the place that I used to go. Um, and so um, you know, so there's for me something quite. Um, I used to think I could only do this work for Trinity um, because I had studied there and because, you know, sort of I felt this connection to the place and that I thought that there was this, um, uh, you know, that the reason I could establish rapport with other alumni was because I had, I was also an alum. And I think that's something special if you happen to do that work for uh, the place you used to go. But I don't think it's, um, Having moved on from it, I don't think it's the, the be all end all of, of how, you know, sort of anyone should be, um, you know, sort of various people work for Trinity now and I uh, worked for other, uh, I w I've worked for other organizations and, but as a place that trained me in what I now do, it's, um, I feel very lucky to have started that way. Cool. Thank you, Vincent. Um, Okay, so so what Vincent has described um, ties in to this very important concept of uh, the the emotional connection that um, that your alumni feel to your institution, uh, and in terms of the communications and the other advancement activities that um, that we organise, uh, it's it's that emotional connection that we want to. Um, maintain and build on in a very powerful way. Um, and in terms of that, one of the one of the most important um, uh, hormones that we're looking for is oxytocin, which is the chemical of social bonding and trust. 
um, oxytocin levels uh, in your reader actually predict how much empathy they will feel for your cause. So this ties into probably one of the most important things in terms of your communications with alumni is that all, and, and uh, donors and prospective donors is that all of your communications should be trying to reinforce this emotional connection. And this is not a particularly natural um, thing for us. So after years of writing school essays and university essays and, and business reports and, uh, and other types of business documents and strategies, we tend to uh, gravitate more naturally to a very formal way of writing uh, and to think that, um, that, it, that our communication needs to be formal in order for people to, to value it and um, see it as important. But in actual fact, um, in alumni relations and donor relations, we need to go against that instinct uh, and, and, and tap more um, strongly into that very personal, um, emotional type of communication. Um, and obviously a critical element of this is actually um, the tone of voice that we use uh, in terms of our communications. Um, and so setting the right tone, we, we really want to look at a much more warm, familiar, personal um, uh, style for our communication. And going back to this recognizing the shared connection. Now, Vincent referred to the fact that he felt like he was in a much more, in a stronger position being able to talk to alumni because he, he had that um, connection with Trinity himself. Um, but a lot of us work in organizations or institutions where we, we didn't study there, we didn't live there, um, and we need to put ourselves in the shoes of our alumni and um, and use our empathy um, to really connect with them on that level. Um, so Academic Impressions, which is uh, an organization in the US, um, they did a really great study on engaging alumni on social media. And, uh, and they looked at, they analyzed a whole lot of Facebook posts and uh, they were able to come up with some quite helpful um, information about the type of tone that appeals the most to alumni in a social media setting. And the top five, um, uh, posts by tone that they identified were fun, celebratory, inspirational, nostalgic, and persuasive. So you can see immediately there that, that those are all tones that relate to um, that very emotional connection um, that alumni have. Okay, so, um, sorry, Vincent, I'll just jump in with another question there. Um, what is your perspective on the tone of content that you have found has worked most effectively for you? Um, so I think uh, for me, there's, I absolutely agree that, that it has to be a little less formal. So um, the traditional uh, Trinity voice, for example, is, is um, I, I, I use the words prolix and verbose. We, we write long emails and we, we use big words and, you know, and all of that sort of stuff. And yet when we were you know, sort of communicating with alums, um, the idea is to make it seem like we were doing that in person um, and, uh, you know, sort of, and I don't think you need to be an alum, you can hone that voice. And I think it really comes down to understanding how your institution sounds. And so at Trinity, it was, there was a definite Trinity voice that was very much the descendant of those traditions of using Latin, wearing gowns each night, you know, all rooted in that ancient traditional collegeness of the whole thing. Um, but balanced by that goal uh, and position of trying to be cosmopolitan, progressive and progressing as a college, you know, sort of very much like old and, and moving on. Um, and, um, and so our magazine, for example, our printed brochures would often feature the old buildings. Um, but we were very good at being sharp using well-chosen language. Um, we're supposed to smart, you know, sound like smart, unaffected people, someone both cultured and engaging. And so if, for example, you drafted a, a Facebook post just so, and you did it well, you could see it was clearly you know more resonant to to the alumni and noticeably gained um, more engagement and so you know these came from the words that we used and, and while i was there it was you know things like excellence and community and diversity sort of balancing all of the aspects of being very good but also being inclusive um, and 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 you know using that to suggest other words that that we would use in, mo in in most given situations and so being consistent about that so we had a 
a clear, easy to follow style guide at the time. So that's, a, I find that a real hot tip right there. Um, mm -hmm. We had a style guide so that, you know, people who didn't speak the language could gain the language and, and speak uh, in a way that alums expected to be spoken to in. Um, and, and so everyone who, who proofed or edited the magazine, everyone who posted to social media had to understand that. And if, it, if they didn't, it didn't work. It, it was clear. And then you spent more time editing, polishing, even quickly deleting social posts and putting it up in that language. Um, so basically, if you don't channel the way your organization is supposed to sound, I think your alumni will sense it. Um, and my anecdotal evidence, I think, is, is from when I crossed the fence and, and worked at the University of Melbourne. Um, we hired an agency to handle social posts for, for a little while, um, just to augment the teams during a, a period of turnover. And you could tell uh, clearly which posts were made by staff uh, and which were the agency posts. And, and anyone could tell the difference in engagement. Um, and I think the key to remember there is that the agency aren't rubes, that they're experts at social media. But, you know, sort of the, the thing about it really comes down to they hadn't mastered the voice yet. So I think um, the tone of it really is important. And I think um, you should be able to tell from how you speak within the, you know, person to person, how you can then translate that to, um, to your, your formal alumni communications. Thanks, Vincent. I, I really like the idea actually of having a style guide for tone. That's not something that I've come across before, but I think that's a really, really, really good, really valuable um, uh, thing to do. Um, some other top tips. Uh, uh, obviously, using the personal pronoun, pronoun you in your communications um, and placing the reader at the centre of your communications is, is an important strategy. Um, we tend to talk a lot about our and we when we're when we're writing about um, writing our, about our institution, um, but the more that we can actually focus on on the actual reader, uh, the the better. Um, a good tactic um, that I use quite frequently is imagining you are addressing a friend or an, or an alum that you know. So actually picking one person that you're writing to um, and uh, it, it removes that, um, that barrier that tends to come up between us uh, when we're writing to kind of a more abstract general audience. So identify one person that you really like um, and that you, can, that you tend to adopt a more friendly tone with. Also think about your own experience as a consumer rather than from a business point of view. So what, what actually inspires and moves you when you're, um, particularly when you're reading communications from your own alma mater. Um, so that's, that's to kind of help take you out of the zone of, of with your business hat on to actually having your personal hat on um, and feeling, you know, what kind of experience do you want to have with your, um, with your institution? Can I jump in on one of those? Um, the, one of the tricks that I use um, when, so when I moved to, to the US and I worked for an organization that I had nothing to do with prior to working for it, um, is I, I found two things. One, uh, a long-standing member of staff who I could gain stories from. So tell me about the history, tell me what alums talk about, um, so that I could, so again, coming back to that sense of making people feel known, um, you know, sort of tell me those old stories so that I can kind of use that or at least kind of nod in recognition when someone tells me something similar. Um, and then I, I used that same sort of thing when I first started to meet with alums and donors was to kind of go up, um, into, a, you know, tell me your stories. What was it like at the time? And so I gained a quick sense of, um, again, the language and the tone and how to um, you know, and what were the what were the resonant stories? And so that for me was a really helpful uh, thing is just go back to the old, you know, go to the history, go to the folks who 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 tell the stories uh, and gain those for yourself. Yeah, that's that's really great. Uh, actually, sorry, I also I forgot to say if anybody has other tips that they want to add to this list, um, please do put them in into um, chat. Is that right, Sheila? Yeah, the chat function at the bottom of the screen. Great. Yeah, so if you've got any other top tips that you think need to go on this list uh, that, that really help you get into the zone um, of writing from a more emotional perspective, um, then definitely please add them. 
Okay, um, so obviously related to tone is the content. Um, what type of, what, what, are, what do alumni actually want to read? Uh, and again, there's a pitfall that, that we fall into here with our business hats on, um, which is that we tend to go for um, news uh, like what we think is more, most important to communicate about our institution rather than thinking about what people actually want to read, what they're going to be most interested in and most engaged by. Uh, so Case um, actually did a very helpful alumni magazine readers survey where they, uh, they looked into this, um, what type of what type of information alumni actually wanted to receive from their university or their um, residential college. Um, and right at the top was alumni life and activities. So they're most interested in hearing what, what their fellow alumni are doing, what they're getting up to. Um, campus life, they wanna, they wanna find out what's happening on, on your um, campus right now. Uh, they, wanna, they wanna see fo beautiful photos of you know, what, your, what your, your residential college or university or your school looks like right now. Um, and this is, sorry, it's a little bit, um, edited, but this is a beautiful photo um, from the University of Sydney where the um, the lawnmowers have actually, this was for Valentine's Day, they've actually um, mown heart shapes into the into the lawn uh, in this quadrangle. Um, that got massive, a massive amount of engagement on uh, Facebook. So these kind of fun campus photos are things that are going to appeal to them. Um, general topics, institutional affairs, academic and intellectual life, um, they go into more, a little bit more detail in terms of the most favoured topics in the survey. Um, so history and traditions, again, that's tapping into the nostalgia, um, it's tapping into the actual lived experience of your older alumni who, who might have been there, you know, um, 30 or 40 years ago. Um, they absolutely, alumni absolutely love that and, and lap that up. Um, campus facilities, so that's more again around, you know, how, the, how your campus is currently evolving. Um, alumni in their profession, so again, they want to they see how well their fellow alumni are doing and, and what kind of exciting career destinations they're going on to and what kind of achievements they're having. Um, and then cultural events and performances. Content least favoured by alumni, and, and this this really goes back to the whole news, the news factor. Faculty appointments and retirements, a little bit boring, you know, kind of repetitive in terms of content that, that you put in your materials. Um, faculty awards and achievements, not really that exciting. Um, Stories about donors. Now, I actually have a caveat about stories about donors, um, and I think it's on this list because most institutions do not do stories about donors well. So, um, when you see stories about donors, they tend to be, you know, so and so gave this massive amount of money to support this, um, but that's actually not what's that's not what is the most interesting um, to your readers, and it's not what's most interesting about your donor. So you should actually treat your donor um, uh, stories like any other type of profile that you do, any other alumni profile, where you actually, you know, write about their fascinating career and their fascinating life, uh, and and you don't focus on the gift. You make the you make the gift part of the story, but you, but the actual story is about um, about their interesting life and career. Or the impact uh, this, of their gift. Yeah, and the impact of their gift. Um, so, um, so I've I've written a number of donor profiles um, that have actually resulted in uh, further giving by um, by the by the donor. Like it's, it's a terrific way to acknowledge your donors, so you don't want to leave it out. Um, and also um, resulted in further gifts from the donor's family, but actually just been really really interesting um, articles to read. Uh, Vincent, do you want to add anything else to that about donor profiles? It, it was bound to happen. I was on mute. Um, just that, just that. Um, again, I think it really is about you know changing the focus from um, you know so and so gave so and so a million to uh, what you were showing on the last slide. So you know here's how it's impacted campus life. Here is um, a student who's benefited from it. We used to do things where you know if a if a donor had given a scholarship, we used to do dual profiles where. 
um, mm -hmm. we talk about the student meeting the, the donor. Um, it's a little bit more interesting in that sort of sense. You know, just take it away from, you know, sort of this is the money that was given to here's what's happened with that. Um, and so you make it a story about campus life. You make it a story about students. Uh, and I find that always more interesting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, graduation ceremonies, I also have a caveat on that. Um, and we actually used to fall into this trap with the alumni magazine at the University of Canterbury. Uh, we would do like a, an article about graduation and this person spoke and this person spoke and then this happened. Um, but it's the same story every year and you, you get bored writing it, they get bored reading it. Um, a, far more, a far more valuable way to actually share graduation um, for both universities and residential colleges is to actually take photos of your new graduates with their family and friends. So then it becomes, it's, it's about the fun and the celebration and the personal element. Um, we did that at Swinburne where we, we would we'd post like an album on Facebook of 100 graduates with their friends and family. And the second time that we did that, we, we actually got 62,000 hits on that album. So sharing photos is a much better way of representing graduation. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, religion and faith-based issues is the other thing that alumni aren't really that excited about. Uh, and then another, what, what turns alumni off, doesn't address topics of interest, um, doesn't reflect their experience of your institution, um, and primarily a fundraising article. So a little bit later on, we're going to talk about that. But um, when you communicate, when you're doing your broad-based alumni and community engagement, 80% of your communication should really be just pure engagement and not uh, not about making an ask. So you want to make sure you've got a good ratio between engagement and um, fundraising. Do you want to add anything to that, Vincent? I think that just in terms of where I am now at Holmes Glen, the, that is the, 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 the real kind of, um, you know, first, uh, the first contact we want with alums that we're, we're reaching out to for the very first time, possibly since we were established. Um, it, it's to make sure that they feel engaged and that this is a part of a, a whole and, and genuine reason to connect with them beyond you know uh, solely fundraising and i think it's you know the the balance of wanting to make clear that we are fundraising and that there is an impact for it and it's special in this sector um but also you know sort of that there are other reasons that we want to connect with them and and you know so we're bringing alumni back to speak to our students um and, and doing all of those other things um that that make it clear that this is not just about not just about fundraising yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, and so just in general, what type of content have you have you found to be the most successful uh, in terms of actively engaging alumni? Um, so it, it is that sort of thing. And so there's the, the difference between magazines, for example, and, and social media. And on social media, I think, you know, the depending on the platform you're on, the, the quirky things, the, you know, the, the hearts on the quadrangle sort of stuff. Like I remember once my office used to face uh, the Bullpadock at Trinity, which is the large green in the front of, um, um, uh, in the center of campus. Um, and I can't for the life of me remember what it was right now, but the hearts made me remember it. Something odd was happening. It was something like, you know, sort of a flock of birds had landed on the, on the bullpadock. And so I ran down with my phone, took photos of it and instantly posted it to um, social media, to, to the Facebook at the time. And it got a whole lot of likes. And the idea was, um, you want to show people something so familiar to them, so dear to their hearts, in a different way. It's like the hearts on the quadrangle. Um, and, and that sort of content always worked well. And so you looked out for it, your eyes were always, you know, your ears were always perked up for when those sorts of things were happening. So if something odd was happening in the hall, you take a picture and post it up. And just for the, the pure blatant emotional pull um, of those sorts of things, um, it brings people right back to being in those spaces. It works really well. Um, for the more considered, deeper kind of things that we put in, you know, things like the magazine or or um, articles that we posted to the web, um, it would be things that 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 did the same sort of thing, but in a more considered way. And so, um, uh, you know, we had um, we had a piece in the magazine uh, when we were editing it. Um, that did um, who was in the room you lived in 
uh, 50 years ago and the current student who lives there. Um, and we did that piece as a contrast to show both that, that we had moved on and the rooms were not as spartan and you know not as uncomfortable as they might have been back in the day. And yet the, the essence of the place was the same and the, the, the type of student might have become more studious and less focused on you know, sort of filling up their foaming glasses. Um, but the essence of them was the same. You know, there was still the same kind of drive to be and to contribute and to achieve. Um, but there was still a sense of fun, so that there was still, you know, the same type of people, even though they were vastly different in so many ways. And that really resonated with me. You know, um, it's not always that we got letters back from um, people, but I, I remember that one really sort of touching. Um, touching people. And so again, it, it, it's um, don't be afraid to pull on the heartstrings. I think do it in a considered way that, that, that gets, um, you know, sort of something you want to say um, said. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, that who, who else lived in your room, that type of thing, that's absolutely fantastic for, um, again, emphasizing that sense of family and, and continuity through generations. And even though these people, uh, you know, they, they, they don't know each other, they have this amazing shared connection and, and they're all part of this community. Absolutely. Okay. So, um, oh yes, so um, Academic Impressions also did, um, as part of their study, they also looked at popular, the most popular topics on Facebook uh, and the five, um, the type of posts that got the most uh, engagement that they found were again alumni news, um, so that keeps regularly coming out at top. Um, athletics um, or sporting activities, it's, it says athletics because it's a, this is a US study. Um, local news, so if, so if alumni are living um, interstate or they are overseas, this is particularly powerful for your overseas alumni, they actually really love hearing about what's what's going on in the local community. Um, so that's just as relevant as, as what might be happening on campus. Um, so, so tap into, you know, um, you know, going back to what Vincent was saying about the quirky fun stuff that's happening on campus, also look for that um, in, in your local community and share that kind of content. Um, institutional ranking, so this is more relevant for universities um, where they, if they're moving up in the ranks, uh, alumni absolutely love to hear that kind of thing. It really, it makes them feel really proud um, and those type of posts tend to get a lot of engagement. Um, and then finally, anniversary and holiday celebrations. So this is an important um, this is this makes life a lot easier when you're doing social media posts. Uh, if you actually, um, you know, put together a calendar of of things that you can um, that you can share on that are like Easter or Eid or um, Father's Day, Mother's Day. Um, this this post from Swinburne is actually around International Women's Day, where we featured um, all of uh, like our our hall of our female hall of famers for Swinburne. Um, again, these are like these anniversary and holiday celebrations have really strong emotional pull. They're, they're emotionally important to your alumni. So if you can um, feed into that and be part of that, be part of their lives in that in that personal way, um, then that's helping to uh, reinforce that connection. Okay, now Vincent was actually recently the star of a Trinity College profile. So um, Trinity College ran this beautiful profile um, on Vincent and they shared it to Facebook. Uh, it's it's very recent uh, at the moment, or last time I looked yesterday, I looked, it had 147 likes and loves and applause. Uh, and applauses, um, which means that it's getting very high engagement. Uh, and uh, the link to the article is there in the slide, so you, you'll be able to read it. Um, but it reflects both on Vincent's personal experience um, living in the college in Trinity um, and also his career highlights since leaving. So I'm gonna ask Vincent a very embarrassing question and ask him to share how he feels about being profiled in that way by Trinity. Oh dear, I, I'm I'm blushing even just looking at it. But it, it feels um, it feels really good from a multiple uh, the, uh, multiple perspectives. And so, um, as an alum myself, um, it feels um, 
I'm, you know, there's a, there's a, you know, you're pleased to be featured and, and, and I know the, the work that went into choosing the 30 people that they've chosen to feature. And so to be one of them is, um, is a nice honor in that sense. And so I feel, um, you know, it feels good to be one of those folks. And um, it feels nice to see the, the reinforcement that comes from the likes coming. And so this particular image is from the, uh, the LinkedIn post. Um, and, um, you know, sort of LinkedIn doesn't always get a lot of engagement. Um, at residential colleges because it's not necessarily where uh, our strength lies. And so uh, to be able to talk about people's careers um, and, and then get this kind of engagement, I think is quite uh, big. Um, and, um, and so it feels good in that sense. But I also know from, again, that the professional perspective, um, this is something that, that we aim to do. It's if you feature an alum this way, if you work with them on um, creating an article or giving them an award or uh, uh, featuring them in some way, um, that, that you're not only engaging the alum involved, and that's a, a really important thing, but then spreading that uh, love out to other alums who will read this story. And I think that's um, that has so many benefits. I think the the... Uh, the thing about doing this is that you gain um, that 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 win win win, and it's um, and so it's a great story in that sense, and and not just because it's about me. The fact that it's about me is. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and and would you say it also reminds you about your? It also actually reminds you about your personal connections to the college. It does. I think so. The main thing it does, I think, for me is 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 less. Um, you know, bring me back to that personal connection and the memory of it. But it tells this, the exact story that they want to be telling at the 30-year anniversary of this program, um, which is that, that it's about progression. This, this program, it was set up to create a, a platform for uh, international students to come to Australia and, uh, um, you know, sort of get into university and, and, and then go from there and build their careers. Um, and it's, it's a massive success story for Trinity. It's a big part of, um, you know, sort of why the place has the standing that it's got. And I think all parts of the college look into the foundation studies program. And, and you know, there are, there are, um, you know, and, 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 and there's a, there's a kind of recognition that's come um, about what strength the, the international profile of foundation studies has brought to the college and so you know there are now 20 there must be 30,000 alumni from foundation studies wow and um, the oldest of them is probably starting to inch into about the age of 50 um, and for a 30 year old program that's um, quite special and so you're starting to see them achieve positions of seniority and so it's a really good time to to look back on um, on the program and 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 see where you know these 16 17 year olds from all over the world have come to now mm -hmm. um, and so yeah it does reinforce the personal connection but I think it's a story to me about progression and that story is is really an important one for, for foundation studies to tell yeah that's fantastic okay um, okay so now we've got our poll uh, looking at the suite of communications, what what type of communications should you actually have um, uh, and, and what you can manage obviously within your resources, but, but what you should be what you should be aiming to include uh, to have like a good level of engagement with your um, alumni. So Sheila, can we activate? Uh, yep, I've activated now. Okay. Okay. So which of the following communications uh, do you currently send to your alumni and community? And please select all that apply. Um, and uh, how often do you send these types of communication out? Should we carry on with the yeah, there's people still voting. So guys, if you want to get your votes in, um, we can post the results. Uh, just cool. give us one second. Okay. And I'll close it now and you should be able to see the results. Okay. There you go. Okay, terrific. Oh, that's a really good rate for printed alumni magazine. I'm really pleased to see that. Um, 
Uh, newsletter, excellent. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so weekly, uh, monthly communication, 43%. That's pretty good. Um, annually, 29%. Okay, cool. That's really great. Um, obviously, as part of the, um, uh, the, the wider benchmarking study um, that we're looking at doing with the residential colleges, um, we will be able to um, uh, access a lot more detailed information about that um, to provide uh, you guys but that's a that's a really good starting point. Okay, so um, yeah, so in terms of communications, so um, these are the communications that were included in the um, in the in the survey. Um, and oh, sorry, I'm just going to make a, um, a mention here about um, alumni apps and portals. So this is an, another um, really valuable type of communication that helps reinforce that sense of community and family. Um, and I've I've had the great pleasure of um, I'm working with Bergman College in Canberra at the moment, um, which is connected with ANU. Um, and one of their residents uh, over the last, I think over the last 12 months, um, he's, a, he's a third year computer science um, student and he's just created them an absolutely beautiful alumni app, um, uh, which really um, is encouraging a lot of engagement. So all of the current residents, uh, I think it currently has 170 um, uh, people on it, including current residents, but it's got sections on there to um, share personal memories, um, as personal experiences about the college to share photos um, it also uh, there's like a, a, a world map where um, people can identify where they are in the world and you, you can see lists of alumni who are in your region internationally um, and there's also an opportunity for alumni to identify what kind of contact that contact they're interested in receiving, like whether they're um, happy to be contacted for business reasons or for mentoring or um, a whole a whole range of different options. Um, Bergman's celebrating its 50th anniversary next year, and uh, um, uh, myself and Colin Taylor at Global are helping them to plan for that. Um, and we're really looking forward to leveraging that app in a really big way um, to help drive their 50th um, anniversary activities. Um, Graduate is a company um, it's, uh, that offers, a, it's um, international, but it's increasingly being taken up by um, institutions in Australia. Um, they have a wonderful alumni portal that actually taps into alumni um, LinkedIn. Uh, they use their LinkedIn login to access it, uh, and it brings together all of their social media platforms, as well as um, being a mechanism for sending um, e-newsletters uh, from the from your institution. Um, okay. Uh, in terms of philanthropy um, communications, obviously we've got the annual appeal, a letter and, letter and email. Um, great idea to have a bequest brochure ready to go, even if you're not actively doing bequest fundraising, um, because uh, residential colleges are a good, um, like, people are going to be likely to, to make bequests to you. Bequest fundraising has the highest ROI of any type of fundraising you can do. So if you've got the information there ready to give to them, um, that's particularly powerful. And if you're doing any kind of fundraising, you definitely must have a donor impact report. So that's just a given. I'm pretty sure that um, Nick and Kate mentioned that in their donor stewardship session, that that's an absolute must. Will you report back to the donors on the impact of their giving? Um, okay, so uh, Vincent, um, what would you say, based on your own experience, what would you say is a minimum suite of communications um, that institutions should be aiming for to initiate and develop an appropriate level of engagement um, with their um, alumni? I don't know what a minimum suite would be, but I think it really needs to be sort of according to your institution and um, and what your resources are. And so if you've got a two person team, it'd be very different to, um, you know, so at Trinity we had at the time a, a nine person team plus a communications director um, with a graphic designer. And so, you know, the, the magazine, um, you know, was the input of many, but, um, 
you know, sort of, we had a, a big suite of, of a, a big group of people to work on things. And so we had um, uh, someone who worked on the annual appeal letters and things like that. Um, the magazine was an important part of it. We did an alumni survey that said that, that the alums really wanted us to keep the printed version. Um, there was a sense at the time that they wanted um, uh, um, a blend. Um, so they wanted the printed version, but there was that, that sense that they wanted to see some more things online. And so I think, you know, part of it will come down to testing and understanding what your alumni want, um, but also understanding that what they say they want and what they actually want, you have to kind of, um, you know, sort of hone for them. Um, so, so as a minimum suite, as a, as a way of coming to the idea of a minimum suite, I'd, I'd look at social media because it, it you know, captures um, a, a global thing. I'd look at what part of social media is appropriate for your institution. So um, a lot of people are still on Facebook. They say the younger folks are moving off, but there's still a lot of people on it. Um, it's still humongous and it still has, um, the algorithms still favor um, institutional outreach. And so the thing about, you know, sort of social media that you have to be prepared for is I think if you're going to use things like Facebook, um, and LinkedIn and, and Instagram, be prepared to pay for it. So I think using uh, the the um, the paid tools more in in a sophisticated way, not necessarily using ads, but you know, sort of using paid tools to to grow your outreach um, uh, is important. You have to consider the that it's not just organic anymore. When we launched onto uh, Facebook in 2010, we were already two years later than a lot of people, um, or at least two years later than a lot of people, but it was it was still possible to reach people based on the algorithms at that time um, without a lot of paid outreach. And I think these days you have to make sure that you're getting the right advice about how to, to, to really use those platforms for um, you know, sort of, you know, in the way that they're they're built these days. So you don't have to pay for everything, but I think it's important to understand how paid social media works, uh, but also understanding the difference between the platforms. And so what works on Instagram may not be what works on Twitter. Um, when I worked at um, the University of Melbourne, we found that Twitter was really actually surprisingly good at capturing deep engagement by people in, in a live sense. And so we, we live streamed a lot of our uh, live tweeted a lot of our public lectures. Um, and so if you have that as part of your programming, make sure you publicize it ahead of time that you will be doing that and people can follow on for comment. Um, and we found that people wanted to comment and, and, and deeply so um, in a way that was surprising. They wanted to kind of go into what was being said. So make sure you publicize your hashtags ahead of time and, and get people involved so that there is that engagement. And then if you can plant a few seeds with your super super spread is not the right word in this day and age, but you, with your, your super connector alumni, um, you know, so if, if you've got those connections with a few people who can seed things for you, one of the reasons I think the, um, the piece on me um, on LinkedIn worked was that, that, you know, they asked me, would you like it? Um, and, and that helps spread it to my connections. And so they can see that I've liked it. Um, so, so get those people on board with you to, to help. And, and I think in that sense, you use your students for the same sort of purpose. Um, so, so, uh, you know, investigate all of those things, test them out, figure out what your alumni want from you as a minimum suite. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, sorry, Sheila, do I need to be, um, uh, no, I'm just keeping an eye on the time and I was just wondering if you wanted to open up for questions at some stage. Um, oh yeah, we probably should actually. Um, yeah. And it looks like we are going to be doing uh, a part two. Because <laughs> <laughs> we've still got a lot to cover. We've got one um, question in there. You know, when you were talking about uh, that people were interested in knowing who had um, been in their previous rooms. Uh, it says, mm -hmm. I'm curious to hear how many colleges or residences in schools effectively track who has stayed in particular rooms, whether the colleges or schools do anything with that information. Yeah, and that's a really good question. And I, and I was thinking about this recently for the for the Bergman 50th anniversary, because um, because they were looking at doing a similar thing of you know um, of doing some engagement of you know who lived in your room. 
And I was thinking, what a cool icebreaker it would be if you had, um, if you were actually able to print the room number on people's name badges. Um, and at the welcome reception, they had to find the other people in the room who had actually lived in their room. Um, and then I thought, I wonder if residential colleges captured that in their uh, in their data. So can I say just in the memory of putting that piece together, we did not have great records on exactly who was where and when. Um, and one of the things we did was we approached um, the older alum that we specifically wanted in the piece and asked them, where were your rooms? And so we kind of got a sense of the rooms from each of the years that he was at the college um, and then figured out who, which student was in the three rooms that he'd mentioned and then picked <laughs> the, the best match student. Um, so we did that in that way to make up for some of the records not being so great. Um, so it, it was reverse engineered. I don't know that it would have been possible to do it for everyone. Yeah. Does, does anyone else have any responses about that? Feel free to unmute yourselves and speak, guys, if you want to answer that. No, nope, everyone's quiet. Hello. We, um, we have a, another uh, question here from Tanya. One of the things that's always a challenge when sending comms is who the sender should be, RE emails. Is there a best practice for who should be the signatory for engagement emails, advancement professionals versus head of the organization? Or should the signatory be changed depending on content? Some emails from alumni office and other emails from the volunteer association. Okay, Vincent, I'll let you answer that. I think a mix um, has always worked. I, I find that um, we used to do some of that stuff where, um, uh, where you know, the annual giving letter was signed by someone from your year. Um, it was a logistical uh, headache often to kind of get someone willing to sign the letter from that year. Um, but where I've kind of come to on that is I think if you can, um, if it comes back to the content and if you can find uh, genuineness in the tone, um, it matters less who signs it and more how it's said. Um, and so we've had um, annual giving letters signed by students, um, signed um, by heads uh, of the, the faculty, heads of the institution. Um, it, it all kind of comes back to how it sounds and what it's there for. And so I think, um, um, again, testing it um, seeing what works for your institution is probably still the best advice on that count. Um, if you've got a particularly charismatic head of college, for example, um, I'd, I'd certainly use them. Um, if you've got a particularly resonant student story from someone who's benefited from scholarships, for example, and your theme for annual giving this year is scholarships, find a student whose voice you know, says that, put the picture on the page and, and have them sign the letter if they're comfortable. All of that works. It's just a matter of what works at any one particular time. You know, sort of if it doesn't quite work, try it again later, support it with an email afterwards. There's a whole lot of ways of mitigating things. Um, but if you're purely getting someone to sign a letter because they were from that year and they don't really believe in it, it becomes a bit of a cynical exercise. So I'd, I'd avoid just getting someone to fill it in because they fit the bill. Um, you know, it, it really comes back to the tone. Okay, thank you, Vincent. We have another question here from Eliza. Do you have any tips for reactivating a relationship with alumni that has lapsed or is perhaps somewhat antagonistic? I, um, I found, um, so a couple of things. Um, I found that anniversaries really are useful for this. So, um, um, you know, sort of contacting someone because there's something larger than uh, you know, sort of, you know, sort of, it, 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 it breaks a bit of the ice. Um, with antagonistic folks, um, you know how you can mark someone off on your database as not to contact. We try not to do that um, in a permanent sort of way. And sometimes I will break into that and kind of go, look, you know, what the worst they can do is just become less enamored of us. <laughs> um, and actually, you know, to get in touch with them and just, you know, again, in a way that is not about anything other than connecting, finding out who they are, or, or, or just um, making a, 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 you know, sort of a, a, a reconnecting. Um, and, and that to me has, um, it's resulted in several sort of folks just 
coming back on board. They may not become donors very quickly. Um, if you've gone to them for, you know, because there's a certain student who wants to be mentored by um, someone like them, you can get a different kind of result. It might still be tentative. They may not respond. Um, but the worst they can do is just say no to you again. Yeah. And I often like, um, you know, as an advancement professional, you have an opportunity to actually really listen to that person's grievance. Like it, it might be a grievance that they've had against your institution for years and you're actually giving them the opportunity to, to feel heard about it and to resolve it for them. Um, and, and, and those can often be, you know, some of the most powerful conversations and can actually lead to them making donations. So definitely don't be afraid to pursue those. Yeah. We have, uh, we did once run a calling campaign that was in its first year um, based purely on reconnecting with people. And we did reach a lot of people who were lost or, or, you know, and some of them because of the nature of how they were contacted, you know, on the phone, which is unusual, were antagonistic. But I found that because this, the calls were handled by students, um, that they could soften on, on um, the way that they were being contacted. And so um, it, it really does depend. But I think, you know, trying a few different things, um, you know, sort of sending out a, a, a little gift if it's appropriate, you know, whatever that doesn't really break the law. So if they're on a no contact list, that's one thing. Um, but, um, you know, I, I would try a few different things. And I think as relationship managers, that's basically what we do is try to figure out who they are and how we can connect. And so I do a little research on them. If, they've, if they're a particular kind of person that you want to be in touch with specifically, um, I do a little research and try to figure out a way. But th those are sorts of some of the tools we've used. And um, we might do just one more quick question before we hand over to Mandy to um, mm -hmm. finish up. Uh, it's from Richard. I have a lot of alumni who don't have or won't give email addresses. Do others have this problem? And how can we get more people to give their emails? Hmm. I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll wait for others to, to, to respond either um, voice or chat but um, um, one of the things is um, about this is that I think emails are incredibly valuable and we want them and so many of our communications are moving um, away from say a printed material or, or anything like that but um, we did at the University of Melbourne um, a, a very simple um, a very simple campaign of just asking people to update their details it came with nothing more than that it was just a, we want to get in touch with you please you know sort of update your details. Um, and it was, it, it went out with um, like a postcard, a DL sized postcard that just, just said, we want, uh, uh, we want to update your details. That was it. Um, and it received, <laughs> it was sent out because we thought, you know, at the very least, if it didn't get very much more of a response than, um, than a few people saying, here's my new, uh, my new email address, um, it would, it was not an expensive campaign. Um, but was amazingly effective in um, in getting new details from people. People provide their email addresses, filled in all of the details in many cases, um, and and it won us an award. Um, um, I remember going up to the Educate Plus conference to receive this award, and it was very, um, it, it was a very simple campaign. Surprisingly, nothing in the sense that it was just about asking people to send us their email address. Um, and it worked. So, you know, worst so you can do is be, try. It'll be useful to know from Richard in what context people are refusing. True. Um, may I just ask Vincent, when you sent out these flyers uh, to ask them to update their details, how did you invite them to update their details? By what method to, to go, to, you know, to go to a website and update them to post them back to you. How did that work? We gave them multiple uh, ways of doing that. So they could fill in, uh, I think they could fill in the card to come back to us, but there was definitely a website uh, uh, that was manned by um, a bunch of wonderful data entry folks. Mm. Okay, thank you. Uh, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it without the website option. Okay, Chanel, do, do you want to, I know you have a lot more, but if you wanted to um, yeah, I think hand over to Mandy. 
I think we need to wind up and um and bring Mandy in to uh yeah talk about the benchmarking study again. That would be great. And thank you, thank you all again for participating. Thank you so much to Vincent um for speaking today. It's been he's shared some really fantastic, valuable uh, tactics and communications. Great. Um, good morning, everybody. Um, first of all, thank you so much, Chanel and Global Philanthropic and Vincent for sharing all your expertise and, and really tackling this topic, which is so, so important to all of us in a myriad of ways. So thank you so much. That was a fascinating conversation. To those of you who are new and as the first time you've joined us, I'm welcome and thank you. And I hope you'll keep joining in because we're going to be having more of these and clearly today turning from one into two. So we'll probably be talking more about some alumni communications in the near future. Um, I'm really pleased to see so many people from residential colleges joining in. It's been really wonderful to build the network. And for those of you who are new and it's the first time you've joined us, um, we purposefully um, identified through Educate Plus that the residential college network is a really special one. It is, it is got, its, got its own unique um, challenges and wonderful things to celebrate. So we created a network specifically for residential college um, staff and um, 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 departments. And during the course of the year, we've been having these conversations just to build a network, but also to share resources and work a bit more collaboratively. Um, and this is the third conversation, so that's great. Our next one is on the 19th of November. And the way we've been doing this is we have the conversation and then straight after the webinar, I contact everybody that was participating to find out what you'd like to talk about the next time. And then we set something up really specifically based on what your requests are for assistance. Um, the really great benefit of all of this is that I've connected with everybody, you are all connecting with each other and the network is growing and really building. So it's so heartening to see and we're really, really pleased. So um, I want to really congratulate Educate Plus on, on identifying this niche in our, in our membership and really putting resources and time behind it. So Sheila, thank you to you too for all your time and effort that you put into building these webinars because this has been our primary way of connecting with everybody and building a resource bank that we can all use. Most people in um, residential colleges are very strapped for resources. Um, Vincent, I was very envious to hear you had nine staff at Trinity. Um, in my department, there's only me. So um, it, it's wonderful to, to see that there are such variety of, um, of resources out there. Um, the last thing I just wanted to highlight is um, we are also going to be um, establishing a benchmark study in the new year um, and I will be reaching out to all of you who are from residential colleges to, to get you into a working group so that we can really make sure that the data we collect from that benchmark is useful and um, purposeful and that we can actually, it can help us in our institutions um, to, to do better. So. Um, um, that will come in the new year. So I just wanted to again thank Global Philanthropic. They've partnered with us on that project. And um, I'm really looking forward to the, the information we're going to gather and just looking at it from a longitudinal perspective and seeing how much um, we can all you know, benefit from, from information like that. So once again, we look forward to seeing you in November. That's the next one, 19th of November. Um, and to all of you who made time to join us today, really a deep help. Thanks. And thank you, Chanel and Vincent, once again. Thank you, everyone. Goodbye. Have a great day. Bye. Thanks, all. Take Bye. care.